Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined, as always, by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, baby. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. This week, we are going to be looking at a, a relatively new film. Is this a new film, guys? I guess it is. It came out in theaters, but then uh, right it's around It's had like COVID. six premieres. Yeah. <laughs> and that is Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, filmed in my home state of Oregon. Um, where we're broadcasting from you from right now to you. <laughs> and then, because we couldn't think of a top five, we're going to do another round of trivia brought to you by our guest host, Jeremy Fisk. Hopefully he has that ready. It doesn't look like he does, but that's okay. Okay, good. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born. And then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. Give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. We have to take what we can when the taking is good. It seems dangerous. So is anything worth doing? A royal cow. Until she barely produces a thing. Some people can't imagine being stolen from. Let's hope he's one of those. got a window here, Cookie. History isn't here yet. It's coming, but maybe this time we can take it on our own terms. All right, guys, I just wanted to uh, share with you our, our, this episode today is sponsored by Paper Street Soap Company. Uh, <laughs> They specialize in handmade, uh, homemade soaps. How do um, they make that exactly? Did they tell you? They they don't actually. It's a mystery. The secret ingredients. You know, nobody really knows. That's part of their sort of. Uh, it was just sort of started as a Kickstarter, and I think like one or two guys, uh, you know, really make all the soaps. So. Yeah, uh, you can uh, buy custom-made soaps, and they're the best in the biz. So, uh, awesome! We appreciate the sponsorship. And um, uh, where do they sell those? Where can you get? Can you get a paper store? You you know you you're gonna have to figure that out. You're gonna have to figure that out. Um, Okay, so guys, first cow. Uh, This is a film directed by Kelly Reichardt. you guys reviewed Meek's Cutoff uh, back in the old 1.0 podcast days. Um, I, I, because I'm on hour 60 of a fast, <laughs> I didn't think of, oh, 70, 70, hour 70 of a fast. Oh, this is, is going to be a great podcast. It's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> My mind is really where it needs to be. Um, when I watch a film like First Cow, a film that is quiet, that is, I wouldn't say slow, but it's its subtle, it's simple. I sort of think to myself, how did they think to do this? What, what What's the mentality behind doing it this way? Like, I, I, lo- I watched the film and I had my reaction, which I'll keep to myself, you know, positive or negative. But I, I, I always think, like, I would never have thought to do this this way. I would never have thought to tell this movie in this way because... On paper, it just seems kind of, um, you know, kind of not unappealing, but just like sort of uncinematic. Um, but I'm wondering how that kind of comes across to you guys. Why, why do you think uh, Kelly Reichardt tells her movies in, in this fashion, in this sort of style? It It's so funny you ask that because I thought of, I was thinking about that when I was kind of going through her filmography and I've seen most of her movies and I would say I, 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 I like most of them. Um, 
there's none that I dislike. I'm not sure that there's any that I love. I had this sort of funny thought about how all her movies sort of have that very quiet, patient way about them. And, you know, I like them all. I, I don't know that I love any. I certainly don't dislike any. So they're all at the very least above average for me, but they're all just like this. But they And they all tend to get very good critical response. And I, and I was thinking, like, did she, like, make a couple movies like this because either budget restrictions or just whatever it may have been, and she got great reviews and great response, and then now she's just, like, afraid to add anything exciting into her movies? And she just keeps this this pace and style and at first i kind of laughed at that prospect but then i was thinking i was like that's that's her that's what works for her so like it's either a don't fix what's not broken idea or it's just a this is how she tells stories in the same way we talk about how tarantino has to tell a story non-linearly and and uh Nolan similarly has to do the same thing. And everybody sort of has their storytelling style. And Reichardt has hers. And it's just very noticeably quiet and patient and oftentimes slow. So we note, like like I said, we notice it. But that doesn't necessarily take anything away from it. It's certainly interesting, back to your question, that like, when she sits down to write or when she sits down to storyboard or whatever it is, this is what's in her head because we're so used to something that's much more stimulating. It's, I also find it interesting you asked this question, Chapin, because I literally, my very first note I had was that this is sort of an exterior films film. Yes. It's, it's a slow burn. Set in it Portland. takes place in the woods. It's in Oregon. I was like, this basically is is sort of how Chapin does movies. So I, th- I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that like you would never think to do it this way because I think maybe you would. Maybe what maybe what you wouldn't think to do, or most people wouldn't think to do, is have is, people see it. Is take fuck off. Is take this <laughs> to it is to. Did she write the screenplay? I should have looked that yes. up. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, co-wrote it, it. Yeah. Is to have this story, basically. And I don't know how she came up with this. I I liken it to um, a cross between the British Baking Show and Deadwood. If you could combine those two. Yeah, or the, Rev- like the Revenant and, and, and British Baking Show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> I like, like both those she, I feel like she took those two concepts and was like, all right, how can we make a movie out she, of this? That's how she pitched it before yeah. she had the script. Um, so that part of it was, I was, I, I definitely was a bit flabbergasted at like, wow, which is like, she's just going for a completely unorthodox, unusual angle for this sort of frontier story that we've seen a bunch of times, but I still don't think has ever been played through. Um, it's always sort of a, a, an interesting time in our, our history. Um, so that's the part to me that I give her the most credit for because it is a very, very bizarre story. And to sort of sum it up a little bit, it's about these um, two guys. One of them we find out is a baker and he decides or both of them together decide that they need to start selling his baking goods but the only way to do that is with milk and there's only one cow available so they have to steal the milk from the cow which puts their lives in danger i mean that's that's a crazy concept for frontier frontiersman um sort of uh entrepreneurship which is a big part of that time period how do you make a buck? How do you get by? How do you live through that? Um, and she decided to go with the the baker. <laughs> with the stealing milk baker variety. I um, Is it okay to start getting into this movie? I know it's a little earlier than no, typically please, please. we do that. So I, 
there's something about Reichardt's movies that I that she has a knack for kind of creating stakes that are that are just kind of normal and broad but relatable and you know I think about a movie like Wendy and Lucy like it's it's a a woman with no money who lost her dog and it's sort of set in the in a time frame of about two days and and that's kind of it and it comes off as very relatable a lot of that has to do with the performance of uh Michelle Williams in that movie um Meek's cutoff is a little bit more intense but it's basically an arduous journey along the oregon trail i guess is what that would have been uh they're they're Which in we've the all been that's relatable because we've all been through we've that. all done that yeah we've all lost and, family members to dysentery yep, and, and snake and bites broken a wagon axle and gone hunting and and killed more than yep. we could carry back um but there's you know their search for water and the power dynamics and Ultimately, a little kind of broad, but very relatable. And and um, Night Moves is another interesting movie that she did, where there's a very specific crime that they commit, but most of the movie is more just about the fear of getting caught. Um, here, it's not as broad. It's the, this. There's a specificity to the story here that I didn't love, and I found. And you described it, Jeremy. It's it, it's so, it sounds funny to to recap the the plot synopsis of this movie because it's so specific. It's these two guys that meet in eighteen hundreds Oregon that form a friendship, decide they're going to sell some baked goods, but in order to make them, they need to steal the milk from the only cow in the territory that is owned by the chief governor of the territory who's the most powerful man and somehow hasn't figured out that the milk and the baked goods we'll get to that but it's so specific and i felt like that somehow detracted from the authenticity that i typically find in her movies oh i disagree i i thought the specificity of it actually helped the authenticity i agree of it hmm. i i think that the fact that we sort of take this vast i mean literally vast land and vast canvas of what could be a giant story and and put it down to the microcosm that is these two guys um and the the smart thing about it is it is a microcosm but at the same time what they're doing is they're just trying to make they're trying to develop their own way in life which is what everybody else is doing too but just not to this degree where um i guess it's it's to a it is to a degree where it's something you wouldn't think of for that time period because everybody else is you know building hotels or or you know uh, i don't know getting pelts or doing something you know gambling saloons or prostitution or whatever it may be back in those days that people were trying to make their fortunes on these guys were doing the same thing but for them it was about the uh the baked goods and how much money they could make before their basically their time ran out and they can move on to something else and i thought that was i thought that was really interesting so i should i should uh clarify a little bit because i liked if everything you just said i agree with and i actually did like i think where i'm coming from is more in comparison to some of her other movies that are very much sort of a slice of life broad picture of a time and place and i like that a lot about her movies and not that this movie doesn't have that in fact it it very much captures a time and place but it narrows in so much it focuses so much on this particular conflict that I I just didn't quite relate to it in the same way that I've related to some of the conflicts in her other movies. And that detracted a little bit. I'm not saying that made the movie bad by any means. Um, in fact, I enjoy this movie quite a bit, especially on a minute-by-minute minute basis. And like all her movies, and we've talked about this a lot, it was slowly moving along, and then all of a sudden you were hooked and engaged in what the characters were going through. So I liked all that. And I liked the idea of honing in on this strange, but you know, 
true task that these characters were taking on that's really no different than anybody else is doing just to try to make a living. I, and I liked that. I just feel like what I've appreciated from her and because so much of this movie played out like all her movies, I I was missing kind of this broader scope, this less focused narrative. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's focus a little bit more in on these characters themselves because obviously this is a character piece. It's really driven by these two guys. Uh, one who's a baker, his name is Cookie, um, and he's played by John Magaro, and then Orion Lee plays King Lou, the guy that Cookie, in the beginning of the movie, he saves his life, and they meet back up, and they form a partnership. Um, John McGrew's character, Cookie, he is very quiet. He's our main character. He doesn't say very much, and uh, King Lou does a lot of the talking for them. There's a, and I, w- I want to wait on this point because I think it's sort of important to their relationship, but there is a, there, there is um, something that the director really wants us to sort of concentrate on that relationship. Like she's sort of pushing us in one direction with that and then never really gets there. But we can get into that later. I'm just curious what you guys thought about that relationship and how it took the movie and where it went. I I loved it. I mean, I think that was the best part of this movie for me. Um, I like how it kind of subtly commented on, like, stereotypical conventional relationships and like subverted gender roles but they're both they're both guys but you have cookie who's like sort of the housewife right Mm -hmm. and you have king lou who's like the businessman like going off to work selling stuff bringing in the bacon and it was and it was like this weird subversion of like what conventional homes were supposed to look like at at one point in history but at the same time there's never any inference in this movie that their relationship is romantic or sexual in any way like there's it that's completely absent from the movie which is intentional right so i like that's that's what i was getting at lee is like we as an audience want to define their relationship we almost want there to be something more to define about that based on those stereotypes but Reichardt never does. She never defines that, and she basically dares us to. Yeah, and but also doesn't let us because because there's no there there's no hint of a romantic relationship at all. It's just not there, and it's not supposed to be. Yeah. So if you wanted to try to draw this conclusion that are like, okay, are these characters gay? Are are is one of them gay? It, you you couldn't do it. There's nothing in the movie that allows you to do that, and that's purposeful. Unless you're unless you stereotype. Yeah, but even if you do, you still there's still no clues in the movie that su- that exactly that suggests it, that. So and I love that, but and I I think back that's to your smart. point, like, but back to your point, they are also really good together. Like as a pair, they have great chemistry as as two actors. You 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 root for both of them. You root for their plan, even though they're breaking the law. Essentially, like you you want them to win. So their relationship works so nicely, and like and the way they meet too. You kind of learn they're both outsiders in a way. I think all of that stuff comes together really well. I think you. What's really smart about what Reichardt does is that you become invested in their business which is what keeps them together like i mean they've got a friendship but it's really based on you know like how are we gonna do what achieve each other's dreams how are we going to uh help each other get to the point we want to be and you become invested in that as an audience member you start to see uh them kind of the details of it which i think is really helpful and especially with the baking you start seeing it and it's interesting and it's also 
sort of alluring in a way, especially if, you know, you haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I think that there's something creative about that, that, that that's worth investing in. And, and, and I think that's where your investment as an audience member comes. You start, you start rooting for them. And um, it doesn't have to be more than that. In fact, I think it's, 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 it's power comes from being so simple. Like you're, you're, you're able to ease into it very easily. Um, because it's, it's some, something, it's so kind of, um, what are the, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's so kind of natural to, to understand and appreciate like the sort of simple pleasures that they are trying to sell to these, you know, mongrels that live <laughs> Yeah. In this, uh, in, in Oregon. Yeah. In Oregon. And still do. Yeah. <laughs> These oily bearded drugs. <laughs> Not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, like, uh, can I, can I, here, I want to say this. Th- I think this is like, this is my second favorite movie of 2020 after, yeah. after, uh, uh, the portrait of a lady on fire. Portrait. See, I like. And there's I a lot really, of similarities. I think, interestingly enough, I really wanted to like this movie more, and and while I was watching it, I enjoyed it a lot. It just sort of left me afterwards, which is the opposite of how I think most people probably feel about this movie, and how I've been feeling about a lot of the movies we've watched lately. There's a lot of great ideas here, and I just wasn't stimulated by them. Like, I just wasn't finding myself thinking deeper about them after this movie ended. And I'm, I'm more frustrated by that than I am by movies that I can't figure out what the ideas were here. I know what they are. They're just not resonating with me. And for whatever reason, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but I liked this movie. I just, it didn't transcend anything for me. Well, what are you at risk at when you, when, when you, like let's say you're a producer or maybe you're a screenwriter and you you're going to share a project with Kelly Reichardt. Like what are the risks that you face when you go into a project with her? And I think one of them is you you people might leave the movie being underwhelmed, which is you know like an uncommon emotion when it comes to modern films like I think you could, you know, you go see your, your modern blockbuster. That's too long. That's too many shots. Mm-hmm. That's too many visual effects. That's too loud. And you're overwhelmed and you come out and you're just like, Oh God, like I'm just, this is too much stimuli for me. But this a movie like this, you, you, the risk is you leave being like bored or, you know, not really understanding what she was going for or, uh, you know, that maybe the story's too simple, but, um, and so I think that's an interesting thing to consider. I, I definitely don't feel that way about this movie. I think that kind of alchemy works with me. Like I obviously, I mean, what Jeremy kind of said, like w- with th- this being like a, this could be an exterior film. Like, I mean, we've obviously, if this is what I did in the past to, to make a film, it's something that I think works. But I mean, to me, this, I was sort of surprised how well it did, um, yeah, I was surprised how engaging the story really was because it is a, such a simple story, um, and the way she films it and and sort of the stagnant, you know, shots and the yeah, uh, you know the all these shots of the na- of nature and stuff like that. And there's the, you know no real um, at first you're you're kind of like what's the connection here, um, and it takes a while to get into. But once you sort of figure that out and once you get into it and sort of understand these characters, which I think a lot of it has to do with the performances, um, especially by uh, John Magaro, who I thought was great in this Mm -hmm. as Cookie, uh, he sort of engaged you really quick um, just just from looks and because, again, he doesn't talk that much. But once once you're sort of engaged, this is an interesting story and you don't know where it's going. Like I, I don't know how many minutes it was from when 
these two characters first met to when they met again, or we, we didn't know what he was doing or where he was going, or we knew he wanted to try to make a little money, try to survive, I guess. But we didn't, nothing really, there's no stakes or nothing really started until you realized he was a baker, which must have been 45 minutes into the movie. Um, and it, and, and, it was able to hook you slightly before that, and then once you got that part, and once you sort of got what, where this was going and what was happening, it was it was a slow burn, but it was engaging. Yeah, and I was fully invested in their their journey. I mean, when they once they started selling their oily cakes, and you know you know as an audience <laughs> member you know what they're up to, and then Toby Jones' character who plays kind of the sheriff chief governor of the town i don't know what they called him then comes he's the one that owns the cow and he tries their their uh their cakes and you start to see this drama unfolding and you start to see the stakes uh showing up you're you're fully invested in that scene when they go to toby jones's house is is very tense so all that stuff works and like i said i enjoyed this movie watching it I just I just didn't find myself thinking a lot about it afterwards. And what Reichardt does really well, and this is a little bit about what you were talking about, Chapin, that I wonder how audiences feel about it. And she does it in this movie, too. And I love that she does it. Is she, she never ends her movies in a satisfying way in regards to her stories. Mm. Like, you never get the satisfying conclusion they always end the in the aftermath you're always thinking about it and you're like yeah it was the right choice to end that movie and meek's cut off they never find water which was a good choice and in uh night moves you actually never you you never actually find out if they get caught in this movie you have the prologue with uh aliyah showcat and where she uncovers these um these skulls a hundred years later or whatever it was. Um, so you get an idea of what may happen, but you don't see it happen. So you have to kind of put the pieces together. I think it's together. pretty obvious. Of course I, it is, I, I but, think... but you don't, but you're waiting to see it happen. Like a, a lot right. of movies would, would, would finish that off. And this movie doesn't. It, they lay down and your movie ends. And I, I like that she does that. With her stories, well, she, but it can be an unsatisfying ending, to your I, point, I don't Chapin, think. If she if had you're looking finished, for a conclusion of the story, if she had finished it off, I think then it would have been silly to do that that's, beginning piece. That's my whole point: is that, yeah. that something that you, where you expect the story to go, her stories never quite get there. She stops before you get to that point, and she does it in all her movies, and I love it, and she does it here. But I can understand how that could be less appealing to a larger audience because they want that conclusion. They want the resolution. They want to see the action unfold. Um, so yeah, all the stuff in the framework of this movie in the two hours and two minutes that I watched it, I was on board and then it's just started leaving me. I mean, that's fair. This movie isn't like the most engaging sort of, edge of your seat thriller i mean it definitely is you know it it's but see, purposely I've, not i think that's why it works though i think that's her yeah point. I, I think she's I doing the yeah. unexpected and any any time and i don't want to make this too much about i hate to like genderize one of the only female f- filmmakers we we touch on on this podcast but like you know, this is a this is a similar time period as the Revenant, and I was just I was thinking apropos of not apropos of First Cow at all because I hadn't watched it at the time, but I was just thinking like that that the Revenant as much as I love that movie, I admire it so much for its filmmaking, but the story and like I haven't really even thought about that story. I don't know if I'm invested at all in leo and his journey and everything like i i i just watched it i'm like god what what a cool what a well-made cool made movie like what a what a revolutionary thing to do but everything in that movie in the same type of you know same time period same kind of people it's just like the most masculine extreme thing like everything that everything wrong that happens everything violent that happens everything 
uh, bloody that can happen happens. And Reichardt goes the opposite way. She doesn't show you. I mean, she you see the grim and you you see the the grit on people and and and, and all that, but you don't see. There's not a lot of violence. There's not like even when uh, Cookie has a what turns out to be a a life ending head injury. It's just like a it's kind of a long shot, wide shot from far away, and he's sliding down a hill and there's a little bit of a sound effect. But even then, like she just kind of does the opposite of what. I, I, you would imagine filmmakers think to do. It's like you know you've got all these tools. Like oh yeah, let's 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 turn up the mix and when he smashes his head, or let's uh, you know ramp up the music here, or let's um, let's really make the t- let's really rise raise the tension here when they're running away from the cow. And it's just every it's sort of just the, the it's just the unexpected choices there that honestly just like kind of kept keep me interested and also. Um, keep me stimulated in a weird way. See, I think that's yeah, her think that's signature for point. sure. Like, because yeah. I, I see that in all her movies and that's generally what I like. And, and, and I'm, I'm criticizing this movie because I'm saying it didn't stick with me. I'm not sure that really many of her movies have like stuck with me long term. Like there's Meek's cut off. I, I definitely need to see again. The other ones I've seen recently enough that, uh, I remember them, but maybe that's just something about her movies that in the moment I really like them and I appreciate all the things that she's doing that you just talked about, Chapin, but there's just not anything that they don't, they don't have a long lasting appeal for me. And that's fine. Not all movies are going to do that. I mean, that doesn't make them bad. It maybe makes them a little less thought provoking, which is why this movie frustrated me a little bit because there's a lot of ideas in this movie. There's ideas about relationships. There's ideas about capitalism. There's, there's a, I want to ask you guys about the quote that she puts at the beginning that is uh, the, the bird, a nest, the spider, a web, man, friendship. And how that, hmm. what theme that ties to, because I'm not sure that I picked it out. So well, again, but my point is another idea in this movie that for, I felt like I should have been thinking about more afterwards. And I wasn't. But yeah. I, I mean, mean to, to go to Chapin's point... Um, and this scene kind of proves how intentional all that, all this is, is the, there's a saloon scene. It's a very sort of, it starts sort of very typical um, Western saloon, orders whiskey, um, and then one guy starts insulting another guy. I mean, a scene we've seen so many times, but what she decides to do is they decide to fight, but the fight actually leaves the saloon and leaves the camera and goes outside. And we never actually see the fight. We don't see the violence of it. We stick inside as cookies trying to take care of this baby. And obviously that's very intentional. Which is so funny is the guy that goes to have a fight asks cookie to watch his baby while he goes and and fights. Yeah. But he leaves, you don't see any of that fight. It all happens outside of the saloon. Yeah. Because she's obviously very intentionally trying to avoid, and maybe she's like. You don't see see what King Lou did to be on the run. Like he kills somebody and is on the run at the beginning. You don't see that. So yeah, it's it's true. She's trying to show that era in, in American history without the violence. And that, that era is so tied to violence. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's nice. And I and that also justifies the pace of this movie that we're not watching The Revenant. We're watching something that takes a long time to do. They, they at first they could sell like f- six of these cakes in a day. So that's the whole scene is selling those delicious cakes. Is selling selling six cakes and then they go home and they say okay come back tomorrow for more and that's a whole scene and they kind of repeat that scene a few times to kind of get you in the rhythm of what they're doing yeah well so i to to your question about the opening quote i think i think for these people these guys these transient people you know uh cookie uh hails from maryland or was born in maryland and has made his way out to oregon uh King Lou is from China, obviously, but has been like all over the world. I mean, these people to them, like, 
you know, whenever I watch these movies, I have this odd desire for them to want, I want them to settle down. And maybe that's my, yeah. like, my, like, uh, you know, the, the, the influence of our modern society where, you know, being someone who travels around the world is not productive or, 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 you know, well regarded in our society, but you know, we, you know, where, where we're all pressured to buy a house as soon as we possibly can. I want them to have this life. I want them to settle down. I want them to find, uh, and, and lay down anchors in, in a place. Um, but they're not. And so what that quote I think means is that, you know, they find, I think they found home in quotation marks, you know, within each other. And yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, their friendship is, I, if I have one critique of the movie, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that their friendship was, you know, developed enough, but th- that's okay. That didn't bother me that much, you know, but I think more in sort of my, I'm thinking of that more in, in terms of how it relates to that quote. And, and, and obviously, you know, we discover that we, we sort of see what's going to happen to them before, before it does, we, it, you know, the opening scene is the, was the woman in modern times, just, you know, walking her dog and discovering these two bodies. And, um, so obviously it's important to the film, to, to Kelly Reichardt that, that uh, their friendship, these two guys, like, how did they get here? How did these two bodies get here? It's interesting you, you brought up their, their friendship again, Chapin, because uh, we mentioned earlier, I really liked it. I liked kind of the things that she was saying with that relationship. But it is interesting if you watch this movie that they never have a lot of moments as friends that you see on screen that like ties them together and makes you realize like these guys are best friends. It's it's when they've been separated and then find each other again that they are all both genuinely happy to see each other. Yeah. That you recognize that th- that they are close, but in it, moment to moment when they're with each other, you you don't really see that. And a lot of that has to do with how quiet Cookie is. You know, King Lou does almost all the talking. He's it's all almost always just sort of a one-sided conversation. Most conversation that Cookie has is with the cow. And so that's a little bit just their characterizations, but I I find yeah, that that's interesting. True. That, that like, cow, that relationship with that cow seemed uh that was the that was the sexual relationship if there, <laughs> there was, was one. With the, oh man, the tension. It wasn't even tension. He was milking them. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting to see a relationship like that where through the movie, you're like, yeah, these guys are friends. But if you watch it, you, there's not a lot of things proving that point, except yeah, when they're it's, reunited. It's weird. It, she just does such a great job of convincing us. And that goes back to my point of like sort of in a way daring us to define their friendship yeah. without ever giving us the clues and how, as it, how she does it. I'm not entirely sure. I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of other relationships in this movie so that you as an audience member sort of bind to that because those two have something that they're not going to kill each other. Or they're not going to, you know, they have, they, there's something for both of them in that relationship. So you're kind of like, all right, that's where that is. But and, yeah, you're right. There's no like, there's no Butch Cassidy and Sundance moments. Yeah. There's no. Buds. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and there's the no montages. There's no nothing. It's just never addressed. And like. That's true. That's another piece that she just, again, dares you to, to think about. But like, you just, at least I just didn't think about it. And like, that's such a. This is something that, and this is going to get slightly political, unfortunately, but like you watch or you hear about, you know, a, a a casting choice or you watch something and you know that the thought process behind it involved a affirmative action, you know, conversation. Like it, it it's just an unfortunate aspect of the world we live in. Yeah, here she somehow managed to insert these things, whether it's a the idea of a, a homosexual relationship, whether it's the idea of a biracial relationship. All those things are inserted here, forcing us to think about it, maybe, but never 
giving us any clues that that actually exists because she completely ignores it throughout the movie. Am I am I making any sense? Like no, I think yeah, I, no, I, it's I think, exactly what I, I, I know what you're saying. saying. But I I also think that it may have been more common for a Chinese man to be in that territory than we may have imagined. Sure. And that's, and that's fine. If there's an authenticity to it, that's fine. But like, you can't deny the idea that like she is introducing a relationship between two men of different races that are both things that are, uh, in some schools of thought are still not accepted. And here she has both of these things exist, just exist. And, it's part of the movie and there's no mention, no thought, no inference that they are anything other than friends. Other than the fact that we're having this conversation, which just sort of proves how conditioned our, our mindsets are. Well, that's what I was trying to get at is uh, when I say that she dared the audience because it does show how conditioned we are. Yeah. Like it's an experiment on us a little bit. Because we're filling in gaps. She gives enough gaps in this movie that we as an audience sort of take our own, I don't want to say biases, but maybe, yeah, biases and fill them in. Um, Yeah, but what's, what's fascinating to me is that we're having this conversation and we are agreeing. So I'll put it this way. There's, there's no suggestion that they are, that these two characters are gay. None whatsoever. We're having a conversation trying... We're having a conversation about how we watch this movie and agree that these characters are not gay. So, like... Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that they aren't. I don't think that they are. I don't think that there's any suggestion that they are. There's no suggestion, but I think they could be. Like, I don't think you could rule it out, I think. I mean, maybe. I, I think they are. I think it's a purely platonic friendship. And okay. it doesn't mean they're not but gay, I, I but I don't think that they're, yeah. they're attracted to each other. My point is that she creates a relationship that does not suggest a romantic relationship, yet we are now trying to prove why it's not a romantic relationship. Well, we're not trying to and, prove it. I think she suggests it's she suggests it's not a romantic li- relationship, but we're here talking about it as a potential. Not we're not trying to prove anything. I think it. I. What's interesting is to think about you know her one of her earlier movies. I think I'm glad you've seen those other ones, Lee, because I haven't, um, and I really wish that I had. But uh, I have seen Old Joy, which um, yeah, I haven't seen that. Came out, I think, like uh, two thousand. Her second movie, yeah. I think. And it's about two seemingly straight men and their companionship. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I mean, imagine a man making a movie about two women, straight women friends. You know, I just I think it's interesting that she that this is the second or third time that that's come up for her. Um, but I also think, do you guys, you know what I'm thinking of? Do you remember the end of Into the Wild, either the movie or the book? You know, Chris McCandless comes to that realization that, you know, life is richer when it's shared or, you know, whatever his last like dying words are that he wrote in his uh, journal that, you know, kind of, I, I think that that movie misunderstood him in the book. Um in a, in, a, in a very major way, but I, I'm glad that that was included. And I think, you know, the important thing to understand about this time is that, you know, companionship was different, you know, like you, you didn't have, you know, you, these guys were from all over the world and, you know, you, they were, they were transient, as I said. And so you, you, they didn't have a lot of roots laid down in places. And so these, these friendships were, you know, incredibly important and meaningful to these guys. There's another, um, in Certain Women, the third act of Certain Women, there's another very similar relationship dynamic um, between uh, Kristen Stewart and, man, I can't remember, I don't know the actress's name that plays the other the other girl um, in it, Lily Gladstone, I think. Um but they, they th- that third act of that movie has a, a again very similar dynamic where it's platonic, but you could interpret it 
a number of different ways and it's interesting and you bring up old joy and then this movie and like there's clearly something that she's interested in exploring there and like how friendships work how close friendships work and like how deep these relationships go and and i think that that's i think that's interesting again the relationship was my favorite part of first cow i just i I liked these characters i liked their friendship and i liked exploring the ideas that she presented there i wonder if people have the same conversation about us three on the podcast Probably all the time. There's a, there's another podcast that's about there's this no podcast. In, where there's they discuss... no inference whatsoever yeah. that there's a that there's yeah. <laughs> anything beyond just a platonic relationship. Yeah. I also think uh, right. an interesting. We should move on, but um, I do think another interesting to think about is this like the role of the sort of purity of capitalism in this. You know, like you get these very kind of straightforward economic models here, where like you know they've got a They've got, they need supplies that they can't have, that they have to steal. And then they have to, you know, invest a certain amount of time and money into, you know, making these things and then they sell them and they're very successful and they've got all this money and then they can move on. I was with, I just wanted them to buy that fucking cow, like go offer to buy it. You've got all this money. Yeah, but like, <laughs> that was never discussed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I liked that too. I mean, it's just like proof that just no matter how small or large, to make your way, you just you have to do what whatever it is you need to do. And if well, that, it's also such a very American concept and story. Yeah. All right, so this is just basic trivia, and how we're, <clears throat> excuse me, how we're going to do this is, um, I'm just going to go back and forth, but you can steal. So, if like say Lee can't answer the question, Chapin, you have a chance to steal it. Um. How many points should we go up to? I was thinking like 15, 15,000. 15, Let's do 15. That's a nice uh, uneven number. Okay, perfect. I have to win this. Like I really have to win this. I don't, I'm a little. <sighs> Tapin right, doesn't have yeah. all his wits about him. Oh, yeah. This is your time to. <laughs> all I need is to beat Tapin is for him to not eat for three days. Let's let's hope these uh, questions aren't like super easy because that'll be that'll be annoying. <laughs> it might be a quick game. All right, you ready? Yeah, Who's Lee, first? you're gonna go first. Now, if I want to steal, do I? I can. I just have to wait for him to not get the answer. Yeah. Once I say you're wrong, Chapin, got it. You can go in. All right, Lee, who is the real-life Anne in Richard Burton's 1969 movie, Anne of a Thousand Days? Fuck, if I know. <laughs> I was worried about these being too easy. I don't either. Move Next question. Move on. Well, the, the answer's Anne Boleyn. Oh, of course. The other Boleyn girl. All right. <clears throat> Chapin. Who plays Gregory Peck's love interest in the 1959 movie On the Beach? Oh, my God. No idea. <laughs> these, these are way too easy, Jeremy. Is this a joke? <laughs> I've right, never Lee. even heard of these two movies. Lee. Yep. In The Great Escape. You heard of this movie? I've heard of this one, yeah. What kind of ball is Steve McQueen's character regularly seen playing with? A baseball. You got it. Damn it, that's so easy. Uh oh, too easy, too hard. <laughs> All right, one nothing. Yes, yes. And we're out of time. Oh, damn it. All right, Chapin. Yes. Who played Charlie Crocker in the 1969 version of The Italian Job? Was that Michael Caine? It was. Fuck! I was gonna get that. When he was in Burma. Oh, manly. Got an easy one. Uh, <clears throat> who played the slave Spartacus in the 1960 movie oh of the same name? God. Uh, Sir Kirk Douglas. Oh, not a sir, so. The late oh, Kirk the Douglas. Late great. May he rest in peace. How old was he when he died? 160? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> you know what he did all the time? He fasted. 
Chapin. Looked like it. In what year was Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey released? 1968. Wow. And you got that Impressive. for Chapin? Is this is like Chapin's question. Oh, sorry. Who played Kubrick Spartacus? Movie. Get the fuck out of here. What's with all the Kubrick questions here? All right, Lee. Who played Bandit in the original Smokey and the Bandit? Uh, I don't know if he knows this. Burt Reynolds? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I was like, is there one before him? I don't know there was a, another Smokey I don't know Bandit. if I would have got that. I mean, I've never seen it. I've seen it, but you when they, you said the original one, I thought maybe there was like a 1930s version or something. All right. What's the score? 3-2? Uh, the score right now is Lee 3, Chapin 2. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chapin, where is the treasure buried in the good, the bad, and the ugly? In the grave next to somebody else's grave. Yeah. Are you going to give that to him? A graveyard. That was the answer I needed to do, though. All right. These are getting getting too easy here. Let's go back to the Anne Boleyn question. Starring Gregory, played by Gregory Peck. Lee, Smiler Grogan sets off the plot for which 1963 Spencer Tracy movie? What was the year again? 63. 1963. Uh, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to spend any time. I'm thinking about it. No idea. Chapin, can you steal no. it? It's a mad, 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 mad world. I've never seen that. Three three, still tie game. It is three to three. We're getting these uh, questions answered right. so fast, Chapin, our audience can't even keep up. Yeah, they're just so they think we're so smart. Yeah. Alright, this is another easy one, but Chapin, you're up. Uh in the nineteen eighty four movie Ghostbusters, how many Ghostbusters were there? Four. Correct. Well, not at first. They don't bring in Winston Zettimore until they realize they need more help. Lee, for which film was the song Take My Breath Away written? Take my breath away, Top Gun. Is that right? It's in Top Gun. Yes. Yep, you got it. All right, Chapin. In the true life story depicted in Alive, from which country were the rugby team that was stranded in the Andes? Lee, you can steal this. Chile. Uruguay. (laughs) I've never heard of this movie. When Chapin answered it, he was so confident. All right, Lee. What is the first name of the character played by Angelina Jolie in Salt? Um, man, I don't know. Angelina Salt. Angelina Salt. Chapin, without looking it up. Salt. Evelyn. Evelyn Salt, obviously. Is Salt her last name, or does that have nothing to yeah. do with it? <laughs> she's she's just salty. Just it's a, more a reflection of her personality. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Chapin, which British actor plays Caliban in the 2017 movie Logan? Stephen Merchant. Nice. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have got that. So he, he's Logan? Yeah, he's, he's Logan. <laughs> he's Wolverine. <laughs> all right, Lee. <laughs> Who directed the 2017 movie King Arthur, Legend of the Sword? Oh, Jesus. Uh, fuck. It's, I know who starring Charlie Hunnam, right? I believe so, yeah. Um, fuck, I don't know. Probably Colin Trevorrow. Guy Ritchie. 
Chapin with really? the steal. God, how the mighty have fallen. Good you mean job, me or Chapin. Him. him. Okay. And me. All right, Chapin. You're What's up. What's the score? Chapin's up six to four now. Ooh, all right. Chapin, what is the full name of the first Pirate of the Caribbean movie? <sighs> Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl. Wow. Welcome I don't think to I the Black Pearl. That. I would have got that. There's a new, for some reason, there's a new meme, which is cutting to that guy who says, that is the greatest pirate I have ever seen. <laughs> it's a good movie. Well, the sequel's not so much. It's an okay movie. Gore Verbinski. Mm. Yeah. Who who is the voice of Princess Fiona in Shrek? Uh Princess Fiona is Cameron Diaz. Nice. Well done, Lee. I almost got confused. I was thinking Elsa and Frozen. I almost said uh, uh Adina Menanzina. <laughs> <laughs> Vagina Benzinia. <laughs> All right, Chapin. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a movie based on the novel by whom? Oh, I. Road Doll. Wow, wow that's nice. correct. Wow, that was a that was a fucking guess. Shot in the dark. Maybe um, I should do all of these three days fasted. <laughs> Lee. In the movie Total Recall, which planet does Arnold Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger's character repeatedly dream about? Come on. I don't know. Come on. I haven't seen it. Mars! You got it. Chapin with a steal. You gotta get the Mars! I'm falling behind here. All right, Chapin. The Leonardo DiCaprio movie Blood Diamond is set in which country? The diamonds my ticket off this godforsaken continent. Ah, uh, fuck. Or which country? Which country? With, with these my also? Because I was going to say Rhodesia, but I don't think it's set there. He's just from Rhodesia. Uh, oh, fuck. South, South Africa. I know that's not right, but South Africa. That is not right. Lee, can you steal it? Uh... Definitely one of the African ones. <laughs> South um, uh, West Africa. <laughs> try West East. Um, I'm gonna say Somalia. I don't know. No, it's Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Yeah, that's where the diamonds that. are. Yeah, the diamonds of Sierra Leone. All right, Lee, who does Harrison Ford play? Like, what's the character's name in Air Force One? President Jim Marshall, please. Uh, I'll give it to you. President James Marshall? Yeah, that's the... Yeah, who, you're I, not I, his, his friends call him Jim, so... All right, so the score right now One is... One of the best presidents we've ever had. Is Lee six, Chapin nine. Come on, Lee. I need to get some steals. All right, Chapin. Bradley Cooper played which character in the 2010 movie The A Team? <laughs> he played Face, but I forget the name of the character. I only know that. That's 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 right. That's his name. Wow, I would. How did you know? You saw that movie? Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I would. I would get that wrong on purpose. I love it when a plan even comes if I'd together. seen it. Speaking of Liam Neeson, you guys see, see his new movie that looks, it's just another name, but it's like Taken 6. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, something thief or something, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, that was shot in uh, Worcester. In Worcester, In, in really? Massachusetts, yeah. So I guess he has a daughter there that... that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rocky the Rooster. Honest thief. In, all right, this is for Lee. Rocky the Rooster and Ginger the Chicken are characters in which animation? Chicken Run. Yep. Wow. It was in the question. I saw that in the theater. In the theater. I'm not sure why. 
<laughs> you had to see the new Mel Gibson movie because you were so <laughs> into the Patriot. Yeah, this is Gibson's follow up to the Patriot. It's gonna be just <clears throat> like it. It's actually the same year, two thousand film, guys. <coughs> how come Mel Gibson didn't come up on our best years for an actor? <coughs> I wonder why. <clears throat> All right, Chapin, you're up. In which 2011 movie saw Rebel Wilson rise to fame with Matt Lucas as her brother? Bridesmaids. You got it. Never kind of catch up here. All right, Chapin now has 11 of the 15. I have eight. Is that right? And you have seven. What? That doesn't sound right. Yep. Uh, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams Lee played a chef and a blogger in which movie? Julia and Julia. Or Julie and Julia. Correct. You got it. Chapin, in which country is the best exotic Marigold Hotel? India. Yes. Fuck. <sighs> not going to come back All right. if he doesn't get any more wrong. It's just not, not the, possible. Yep. Which British singer do Bridget and Miranda unwillingly bump into in Bridget Jones's Baby? Lydia, come here. Um, <laughs> Chris Martin from Coldplay. <laughs> you're not. You're not far off. I don't know. All right, Chapin. Any steal? No. Ed Sheeran. I like guess he's in all the movies. He's a, he, he's if, like there's a, if there's a British movie that it all involves music, Ed Sheeran's in it. Or one that doesn't involve music, like mm. Bridget Jones's Baby. Uh, some of these I, I don't expect you guys. I, I'm more embarrassed if you know them, like this one, Chapin. Which 2012 comedy movie is based on a best-selling pregnancy guide? Uh, what to expect when you're expecting? Holy crap. That's what my, right. I mean, that's the only pregnancy guide. The only one there is about being pregnant is one book. Obviously not, because I've been reading a whole bunch of them. Well, yeah, that's the main one. Wow. What a dumb movie idea. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Shaven's been watching it on a loop. Yeah, just getting ready. How do, you, how do you think the author of that book felt when they're like, you know, Tilda Swinton comes up to him and be like, we love the book. We'd really like to option it. <laughs> All right, Lee, which 2015 movie personifies the emotions of joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness? Uh, a 2015 movie, and it personifies... Read it again. Read the question again. Which 2015 movie personifies the emotions of joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness? Oh, um... Inside Out. Wow, you got it. Whew. Staying alive. Animated film. That was the absent clue there that made that tricky. Chapin, who plays the private detective Eddie Vallant in Who Framed uh, Roger Rabbit? Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. How do you guys know that? I would never know that. Eddie Valiant. Audi Valiant. There you go. Lee, in Bambi, what is the name of Bambi's bunny best friend? Flopper. All right. Chapin. Stomper. 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 Chapin. Stomper. Thumper. Thumper. It's close. I made the sound. That should have counted. Yeah. Thumper. I combined flounder. <laughs> All right. Um, Chapin, in 2008 movie Taken, Liam Neeson's character's daughter is snatched from which city? Los Angeles. 
Lee. Played by Leighton Meester. Um, no. Yeah, right? No. Good thing that's not the question. Yeah, good thing. It's New York. I'm looking for a city. It was Paris. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I thought that was this. Yeah. He was thinking of taking four. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of Perfect Criminal or whatever they, they do. The it honest, is. honest yeah. thief. <laughs> uh, all right. Man, I can't get these steals. All right, Lee. Which 2001 movie sees an undercover police officer try to infiltrate the world of L.A. street racer Dominic Toretto? Oh Fast and the Furious? Yep. I've never seen any of those movies. <clears throat> this is this, these are some of these are just too easy. All right, uh, Chapin. Which actor sang Singing in the Rain in the 1952 movie of the same name? Gene Kelly. You got it. And that was actually 15 points. That's the win. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. No, no, no. If I can, can't keep... I can do a, I can do like beer pong, where if I can go on a run and just get them right in a row to catch up. All, All right. right. You, the, if you can get... The hot hand fallacy is a psychological investigation you need to look at. It's not a real thing. I didn't say anything about the hot hand. I just said if I get them right... That's row, what you're describing. That's what you're describing. The hot hand fallacy. All right, no, I was saying in beer Lee. pong, you can shoot till you miss at the end. Yeah, but this is different because you either know these questions or you don't. It's not a bit being hot. Uh, who played Peter opposite Claude Colbert in the 1934 movie It Happened One Night? Who played... Sorry, read it again. Who, who played, played Peter opposite Claude Colbert? Um, opposite Claude Colbert in 1934. Uh, it happened one night. Um, fuck. The guy that's in. Uh, I know the answer. I just can't remember his name. It's folding under pressure. Um, this is what happens. Yep. Chapin, do you want to steal it? In, and the for... guy that's in Gone with the Wind. Chapin? No. You don't even want to steal it? <laughs> Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Yeah. Not the guy. Yeah. The guy that's in Gone with the Wind. You know, All right. Really, well, you couldn't really rattle famous, off five in a really row. So Clark Gable. I think that's going to do it. Chapin wins 15 to 10 is our final score. <sighs> Fucking Woo! blowout. What a blowout. Look at that. Look at that fasted brain just able to... All right, on that extremely awesome note, that'll do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I've been Chapin Hemingway, joined by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk. What are we going to do next, boys? Do we have any ideas? We don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. Uh, Go rent First Cow. Uh, I know a lot of people that worked on this, and I think it'd be good if this this movie made some money. Thanks a lot. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.